Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the James McDonald Podcast, where we say love to live to love. That's our focus, that's our passion, and we invite you to let God's Word have that impact in your life right now. Here's Pastor James. Well, welcome back to our series, God's Money, and uh, thankfully, by God's grace, uh, we are not simply doing as we had done, uh, teaching every time money comes up, let's talk about giving. Uh, that was a colossal fail. Now, uh, today, a message on giving in the context of all that God's Word says about money. View it vertically, earn it honestly, utilize it effectively in the weeks to come, of course, managing it and, and the dangers of it. But just today, in the context of everything God's Word says, what does the Word say about giving? The title of the message is Money, uh, Give It Generously. And as I prepared this, I frankly uh, thought of my uh, son-in-law and my daughter-in-law. We have welcomed them into our family. They are our children in every sense of the word, uh, Tony and Kristen. But as they got in with us, we had to teach them a lot of stuff, the inside jokes, the stories they really didn't get. And I think I thought of them because I know that we have, what, 3,000 people that have come since 2009, 5,000 people since 2007. The church has more than doubled since 2005. And look, no matter when you got on the train, we love you. We're glad you're with us. But I don't want to be that kind of insider joke where you sort of don't understand it. So uh, what I really am trying to do today is to go to the three main passages that inform our understanding of all that God's Word says about giving. If you've been around here for a while, there's going to be some review. Uh, but we're trying to gather everyone into this central passion of how we trust God with his money, all right? So let's just pray together before we start. Father, thank you for this chance to get into your word, cause it to be life to us today, set people in bondage to money free, tear down the idolatry of thinking that anything in our lives could be raised against the knowledge of Christ and the joy of knowing him. So get this victory in our lives today. Give me freedom as I preach. Give open, humble hearts to your people. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So let's go to the first one. Uh, you've heard me quote this many times, Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11, and uh, in this message, I wanna share uh, five life-changing principles about generosity. Uh, five life-changing, these, these, these principles have changed my life. I was not raised with this. I was not taught this in the church that I grew up in. This principle has changed my life. You're in a church with many thousands of people who are living these principles. And I'm calling you uh, this weekend to join in the joy of generosity. Uh, so five life-changing principles from the three main passages. Here's the first one. Um, generous giving uh, leads uh, to abundance. Generous giving leads to abundance. Now, uh, notice uh, here, uh, if you will, please, uh, the actual scripture, Proverbs 11, 24 uh, and 25. Uh, I like to have you turn. I know you're there now, but I actually have been teaching this particular scripture for so long that I have memorized uh, not the ESV, which we've been using here since about 2000, but I've actually memorized the New American Standard, which we used kind of in the late 90s. Before that, we used the, I digress, okay. Um, all good translations. Uh, here's the translation I memorized. Uh, there is one who scatters, yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due, yet it only results in want or, or poverty. The generous man uh, will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself uh, be watered. Okay, um, let's look at that a little bit at a time, and uh, let's just leave that scripture up if we can. Um, uh, first of all, notice there, um, 
scatters. Uh, that's the idea of gives, shares. Uh, some of you uh, have, uh, we'll use this uh, throughout the message, some of you, uh, as money uh, comes into your life, uh, um, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, is observing that some of you are scatterers. Um, and the picture that came to mind, Kathy and I were over in March to see uh, Heather Headley, uh, one of our worship leaders, uh, Heather Headley Musso. Uh, she's in a, a play called The Bodyguard in London, and it's just a few blocks from a, a place called Piccadilly uh, Circus. And the Piccadilly Circus is a place where a lot of roads all come together. If you've ever seen one of those British roundabouts, I mean, cars are coming from every angle and in in one place and out in another place. That's the idea of scattering. I, I'm just a conduit. I'm just a roundabout. Stuff comes to me. Where's this going? Where's this going? And, and Solomon observes, there's one who scatters. I hope that's a clear picture. But there's also one who, back to the scripture, there's also one who uh, withholds. And, and uh, notice that Proverbs 11 is saying, there is one who scatters yet increases all the more. There is one who withholds. So this is a very different person. And uh, uh, he has the same result, but instead of scattering like a conduit, like a roundabout, he withholds uh, like a dead end. And, and I, I get it and I hold it and I count it and I measure it and you know my precious my precious precious we we joke about some of our friends one of my particular friends and he actually is very generous but he real careful and and we say you know he still has his first communion money and and the idea of people who just are now now Solomon is observing that there aren't just uh, two kinds of people, the, the uh, one who scatters like a roundabout and one who withholds like a dead end, okay? And he's also observing that there are two outcomes. And uh, remember our study of Proverbs, these are not promises, these are observations. This is the way it normally goes. Solomon says, normally the one who scatters you think, wouldn't you think intuitively that the one who scatters, well, he's going to end up short at the end of the month, at the end of the year, at the end of his life. But Solomon says, what I've observed is, is the one who passes it on, circulates what God entrusts to him. That one ends up with more. He increases all the more. It just seems like he doesn't run out somehow as though there were a God. And he says, it's also interesting that I've noted that the one who hoards, you'd think at the end, the one who hoards and counts and he calls it withholds. Could you help me? No. Would you be interested in getting? No. Don't even open that. Throw it in the garbage. We don't. The one who withholds, you'd think that he'd have a bigger pile pretty fast, right? He never gives. He only saves and hoards and holds. But he says, the one who withholds that dead end guy, that only results in poverty. The one who's giving ends up with more. The one who's withholding ends up with less. How can that be true? But it is true. And so the question comes, which one are you? Are you the one who withholds? Has that led to poverty in your life? Are you the one who scatters? Are you the generous person or the stingy person? The stingy person seems to lack. The generous person seems to have uh, abundance. Now, um, I'm using the word abundance here because I think the word prosperity, while it's a biblical word, turn to your neighbor and say, it's a biblical word. 
The, you can look it up and study the word prosperity in Scripture. It's a biblical word, but so many people have hijacked it that the word has so much baggage. It's kind of like the word fellowship. I hardly ever use the word fellowship because fellowship, well, that's the sign over the fellowship hall. Or, you know, that's where we go to um, drink red punch and have stale conversation. And, and the word fellowship has been so hijacked by horizontal thinking that it is hard to even almost use the word. It's a good word. It's a biblical word. But it's not super helpful. It's got a lot of baggage and prosperity is like that. So I'm going to use a different word to try to make the same point. It's also a biblical word. Uh, the word is abundance. And when we say that uh, the generous, when the scripture says that the generous man will prosper, Generous giving leads to abundance. Let's put that scripture back up again. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. There is one who scatters yet increases all the more. There is one who withholds yet what is justly due and yet it results in want. Here's the summary. What do you mean, Solomon? What do you mean? I mean this. The generous man will be prosperous. There's the word. And he who waters will himself be watered. I haven't heard the weather report. I don't know what the records are, but have you uh, heard the rain uh, this, this week? Sounds like that. I can't tell you how many times we woke up in the night the last couple of days and just like, like a deluge, like a downpour, right? And, and uh, when Proverbs says, he who waters will himself be watered. You're not going to run out of water. You're not going to run out of resources if you're generous. God is going to prosper the generous person. Solomon says, I've seen it. Generous giving leads to abundance. Let's say that together. Everyone say it. Generous giving leads to abundance. Do you want that? Do you want to feel like you're living under a deluge, under a downpour? Stop with the withholding. Stop with the counting and hoarding and get with the generosity program. So many are experiencing it and I so want you to experience it too. Here's the second thing. Five life-changing uh, principles about generosity. Generos generous giving leads to abundance. Secondly, generous giving begins. Here's the second key passage. Turn over to Malachi 3. Generous giving begins with tithing. Generous giving begins with tithing. If you know where the major prophets are, right after the poetic books in the middle of your Bible, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and then the big guys, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, then the minor prophets, there's 12 of them. And when you get to the last one and you're almost to the New Testament and you get to the second last chapter in the Old Testament, you find a very instructive passage that whether you've been here for three months or three years or 13 years or more, uh, you need to know this passage has shaped my thinking, our elders' thinking, uh, our pastors' thinking, and the thinking of our church. And notice this, generous giving begins with tithing. And, and uh, let me just start into the passage here, Malachi 3, starting in verse 6, where it says, For I, the Lord, do not change. I, the Lord, do not change now, the context here, just a little bit about it. Malachi was a prophet who lived 400 years before Jesus. He was a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah. The day in which this book was written was very much like our day that we live in. 
Religious leaders were compromising the word of God and softening the message to hold the favor of the rebellious people. People were marrying non-believers. Divorce was rampant. The people were religious, but they were very prideful and very self-righteous. That gets us to this. For I, the Lord, do not change into the swirling decline of human morality comes God with his standard. I don't change. I don't change. This is what it has always been. This is what it will always be. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word won't pass away. This is the standard. It doesn't change. Malachi 3, 6, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Awesome. Do you get what that's saying? Well, I wish you would change. I wish you'd get what the... If I changed, you'd be incinerated. It's my eternal commitment to mercy while you're still drawing another breath. Wow, 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 wow. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And then the compassionate cry of a father, Father God, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. It's not too late for you. We were praying before I preached this message and, and uh, just kind of getting ready to minister to you and, and uh, someone uh, prayed, and, and, and I just love this, that it's not too late for us. And how many are hearing this teaching on money and thinking, I wish I'd heard this when I was younger. I, I wish I'd lived by these principles. Listen, listen, whether you're 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s, God's heart for you this weekend is that you would see the future as your remaining opportunity to conform your life to the word of God. And everyone say, it's not too late. All right, hey, turn to your neighbor and say, tell him. See, isn't it good to know that? And, and God loves us and he says, how, how awesome. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Oh, wrong answer. I would return to you, God, but, you know, as far as I'm concerned, we're just rocking it. You know, I, I'm just, I'm doing everything that you want me to do. Really? Really? No room for improvement? Uh, nothing to grow in? Nothing, no more of God's word to align your life with? That was a very bad answer. But you say, how shall we return? And the answer comes, will man rob God? He said, well, let's just start with your money. You're robbing me, verse 8. We're like robbing you. How have we robbed you? What are you talking about? Wouldn't steal from you, God. You say, well, actually, you kind of are. Not kind of. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. My translation, the first time I taught this was offerings. And those two words are deeply embedded in the life of our church. Tithes and offerings. Now, um, I got to do a little teaching here because it's very popular today, very prevalent. People say, well, tithes aren't for today. Tithes aren't required by God. That was Old Testament. So hopefully this will be helpful to you. And if you have a pen, jot these down. Uh, five biblical facts, or pardon me, uh, 10. I like five lists. I have some of those, but uh, here they come. Uh, 10 uh, biblical facts uh, regarding the tithe. 10 biblical facts regarding the tithe. First of all, it means a tenth. It means a tenth. 10%. Uh, 41 times it's used in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So it means a tenth. Uh, secondly, 
Uh, it describes the immediate gift of 10% of your income at your first opportunity. What that means is, is I don't come to church with God's money at my house and the first portion of my income belongs to God uh, off the top. And actually Deuteronomy chapter 14, 22 to 29 said that if, you were, if they were kept out of town or they didn't get up to the place of worship, that they were actually to make provision to send it. Uh, the, the biblical idea is don't have God's money at your house. You said, well, James, you already told me it's all God's money. Right. And, and the gift that we bring is the symbol, get it, of God's ownership of all of it. I don't want the symbol that it's all God's at my house, or I might start to get confused that it's all mine. So it means a tenth. Secondly, it describes the immediate gift at your first opportunity. Three, uh, it, as I've just said already, it symbolizes God's ownership uh, of everything, uh, that it's God's money, that he owns uh, everything. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. How clear is that? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So it symbolizes God's ownership of everything. Uh, fourthly, uh, as I also said already, it's to be off the top, off the top. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first fruit of all your increase. Before Washington, before Springfield, Illinois, before uh, your pension plan or your health benefits, off the top, off the top. Uh, someone asked Ron Blue, who we've been working very close with lately, is it, is it gross or net? He says, do you want God to give net to you? It's gross, obviously. I think that's very, very clear. Uh, honor the Lord with, the, with your possessions, with the first, first fruit of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. So it means a tenth. It describes the immediate gift. It symbolizes God's ownership. It is to be off the top. Um, some people will say, well, you know, tithing was, was part of the Old Testament law. No, jot this down fifthly. Uh, it's a universal principle. Um, the the uh, Old Testament law was not the beginning of God's instruction. Read the book of Genesis. Abraham brought tithes to Melchizedek 400 years before the law was instituted. It's not like, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's like on six days, I created the world. On the seventh day, I rested. See, Sabbath is a universal principle, uh, just like tithing. It's rooted in the Garden of Eden. It predates the law. It, in fact, Stephen Olford, one of the great Bible expositors of the last hundred years, said this. The principle of tithing is timeless. It is for every man in every age. It was neither instituted uh, by uh, this age, uh, pardon me, it was neither instituted by law nor terminated by the age of grace. It was neither given by Moses nor discontinued by Jesus Christ. Tithing was both incorporated into the law of Moses and into uh, the New Testament church. Uh, so uh, it's a universal principle, like Sabbath rest. First things belong to God. The first day of the week, the first portion of my income, and then a sixth, it was part of the law period, I've said this already, but it predates the law and continues after the law. Uh, seven, uh, it was practiced throughout church history. Uh, since the earliest days recognized legally in England in 786, 
1545 at the Council of Trent, a tithing was instant. You were excommunicated from the church if you didn't tithe. I'm thankful that we uh, wouldn't do something as foolish as that. That would violate some other principles I'm going to share in a moment. Um, but this is not some new concept. Practice throughout church history. And then eight, it is a thermometer of spiritual vitality. Where are you at on the tide? This is reality. On this, not on this. I talked to a man recently who said, I was 40 years old. I was raised in a Christian home. I, I knew the Lord. I attended church all during my 20s and 30s. It wasn't until my early 40s. And he said, and sadly, when I did start giving, I was like, when am I going to get something back? He said, my attitude about the whole thing was just so wrong. And I just battled this in my life. I'm so sorry to hear that. It really is a thermometer. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You can't serve two masters, we studied last time. Nine, uh, it's important to God. God, 100%, if you read the Old Testament account in the book of Joshua about uh, Achan, when they were told to go and uh, take something that belonged to God, and one of the men took a portion, kept it for himself, buried it under his tent, God took that on big time. You go read the story of Achan in the Old Testament and see what happened to the people who said, well, I'll just keep what belongs to God. You say, well, that's Old Testament, right? Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira kept back what belonged to God and lied about it. They could have made a different choice, but they lied about it was the worst part. And they were both struck dead, Acts 5. And, and uh, it's just serious. It's just as serious as serious gets what belongs to God. It's important to him. And then lastly, it's the starting place uh, for New Testament giving. And this is really, I, you know, I, I don't want to preach law to you. I want to preach grace to you. And uh, that's a New Testament message. But I would just say to you, what is less in the New Testament than the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, we're told don't murder. In the New Testament, we're told hatred is murder. In the Old Testament, we're told, don't commit adultery. In the New Testament, we're told that lust in your mind is the same as adultery. In the Old Testament, we're told, 10%, measure it, count it, make sure it's accurate, keep the rest. In the New Testament, we're told everything belongs to God. I like to think about giving like, um, like a highway. And you need to know that you're in a church filled with people who are on the fast lane with the top down, laughing and rejoicing and delighting in a life of generosity. And I understand that some of you have pulled onto the freeway and it's a little fast out here and that you, some of you are hearing some of these things for the first time. I think of all the people baptized in our church in the last couple of years. And, and that's all right. Um, you, you can warm up to this. I'm not preaching law to you in this moment. I'm preaching truth to you. Uh, but here's the sad reality. Um, off uh, of the highway, I would say that tithing is like the ramp uh, onto the highway of generosity. And it just grieves me to see people, you know, crouching down at the bottom of the ramp. It's, it's not required. It's not required. I don't have to do this. And, and I would say, yeah, really, if that's where you're at, don't. Because there's so much in the New Testament that indicates God doesn't want to take anything and pry it from your white-knuckled kung fu grip, Okay. God's not lacking for anything. God's kingdom's not lacking. Our church is not lacking. God has been so abundantly generous with us. This isn't a message to get something from you. This is a message to get you somewhere. 
all right? And generosity will get you somewhere. So you're not driving the car anyway. If you could just like get in the car, Jesus will pull you up the 10% ramp. I mean, honestly, when I think about God's kindness to Kathy and I, giving 10% is so far in the rearview mirror that I can barely see it. But I do remember when it was a big deal. I've told you before when we, I was working in youth ministry and, and I made, um, you know, a hundred and, I can't even remember, $150 a weekend, I think it was. And, and I can remember having to write that check every two weeks for $30. And, and I just had more expenses. I mean, we, we had $180 a week of expenses. And it just how could 150 not be better than 120 Or I guess if it was 30 it'd be 270 You know what I'm saying? I, I wasn't good at math then or now. What I... <laughs> What, what I'm good at is, is knowing that I know what it's like to say, this isn't enough peanut butter to cover the slice of bread. Why would I give half of a spoonful? Here's why. This, this is it. Because 90% with you and God is more than 100% with you on your own. It's more. That's what I'm telling you. When you've begun to give, when you begin to pull your car up that that that. 10% ramp and get onto the highway of generosity. I'm telling you, God himself is your partner. God himself has made some promises to you and it will be more with you and God than it could ever be with you on your own. And when you leave God out of your stewardship by withholding what is rightfully his as a starting place, you're on your own. And some of you, your financial picture looks like you've been on your own for a while. And so I challenge you to prayerfully consider this. In fact, uh, that leads, um, I want to just quickly give you, uh, you say, well, what are the New Testament principles on giving? In addition to that on-ramp, uh, here's what we celebrate on the highway. Just j jot these down, I'll give them to you quickly. New Testament principles on giving. First of all, give on the Lord's Day. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 says that on the Lord's Day, we uh, come to Him. And then, uh, as unto the Lord, um, Romans uh, chapter 14 says, whether we uh, live, we are the Lord's. Whether we die, we are the Lord's. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Everything we do is the Lord's. Everything we are uh, belongs to the Lord. And, and don't give to a church. When, when you give to our church, you are giving to the Lord. It's so important. New Testament principles on giving. On the Lord's day, as unto the Lord. How would you give if Jesus Christ came down the aisle and passed the basket or bag down your row? You give to the Lord. And then 3, 1 Corinthians 16, 2 also, uh, on the first day of the week, as the Lord has prospered you, that giving increases, as abundance increases, giving increases. Not just uh, as a percentage, but as a total, a greater percentage. As I have more, I give more. As the Lord has prospered you. And then 4, from the story that Jesus told about the wealthy man and the widow who gave, we give sacrificially. We should all be able to point to things in our life that we would have if we had not given. If you've completed your entire list, you have everything you can imagine wanting, and then you start giving too late. You have to give sacrificially. And then uh, cheerfully, I'll say more about that in a moment. And then uh, personally, we give on the Lord's day as unto the Lord, as the Lord prospers, sacrificially, cheerfully, and personally. Generous giving begins uh, with uh, tithing. And then this, thirdly, generous giving tests my faith. Generous giving tests my faith. And uh, still here in Malachi, 
Now look with me over. So verse 8, will a man uh, rob God? Malachi 3, 8. Yet you are robbing me. <laughs> but you say, how have we robbed you? Answer, in tithes and offerings. And then he says, verse 9, you are cursed with a curse. Now look up here for a minute. If you're in Jesus Christ, you're not cursed. I'm, this really means, honestly, you say, what is that? It sounds like an incantation. We're not cursed. Right. He became a curse for us. All right. Is that, I want to be really clear about that. I'm not saying, turn to your neighbor and say he's not saying. I'm not saying that if you don't tithe or you withhold generosity that you're cursed. What I'm saying is, is you're consequenced. Okay? There are consequences for disobeying this truth. And while Jesus Christ became a curse for us so that we could be forgiven, he took the punishment for our sin. Everyone say gospel. All right? And I believe that, and I hope that you believe that. That's the life-changing moment of believing on Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. But there still is a consequence to disobedience. And while Christ freed us from the penalty of sin and he freed us from the power of sin, he did not free us from the presence of sin. And we do reap what we sow. And if you sow disobedience and you sow stinginess, you're going to harvest that. And that's what he means when he says, um, you're cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. What should we do, God? What should we do? Everyone say, what should we do? Bring the full tithes into the storehouse. Now, the storehouse um, would have been uh, the place of worship. I believe that our tithes belong to our own church. Our offerings uh, can go elsewhere, but our tithes are, is our initial on-ramp to generosity, expression of faith in God and worship to Him and His ownership of everything. And I believe that we bring that. We've always practiced that. Bring the full tithes uh, into the place of worship that there may be food in my house. Back then, this was uh, the practical matter of the feeding of the priests. It literally was bring the groceries from your farm to feed those who serve and lead us in worship. That's why the context is that local place of worship. Food in my house, the house of the Lord. Oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Check this. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Now some people are like, well, but I, I thought the scripture says don't put God to the test. And now here God says, put me to the test. And, and Jesus says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So which is it? Test him or don't test him? Well, this should help. Um, don't test him unless he says, test me. I mean, how clear is that, right? Don't test him. Don't put God to the test unless he says, test me. Now, this is what's, what's really unbelievable. This is the only place in Scripture I could tell you where God reaches out to us and challenges us. It's, it's like, um, it makes me think of the medieval times. I tried to kind of fashion one of these uh, knight's uh, gloves. It's like the term is like a, like a gauntlet. And uh, um, a, a knight, when he wanted to uh, challenge uh, someone to settle a matter, they kind of took the law into their own hands, literally, and they would take off their glove and they would, they would throw it down in front of the person. This is the idea of, of where throwing down the gauntlet comes from. 
And they would literally walk up to the other person and they would throw down the gauntlet and say, let's do this right here, right now. Let's settle this. And, and I just, I couldn't take you to another place in all of God's word where he reaches out and he says to you, really in effect, you don't think I'm good? You don't think I'm faithful? You, you don't think I see what you make? You don't think I know what you have? You don't think I see you callously passing that bag down the row and thinking you can do better without me? You don't think I'll be faithful to you? You don't think I'll meet your needs? And, and God throws down in front of us and he says, let's do this right now, right here. Come on, let's get it on. And it's just like, oh my goodness. That's what that is. That's, you test me in this. See if I won't be faithful. And, and really, it's, it's intense, but it's meant to spur you uh, to faith. In, in fact, that's the, the next thing that I just am trying to emphasize here. Generous giving tests my faith. At the end of the day, you can trust God, and, and he will be faithful to you. Notice uh, what he finishes here. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not, Malachi 3.10, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you, windows of heaven here is like a picture of a barrier. It's like, imagine all the rain we've been receiving, but imagine if the window was closed, how much of it would have gotten to the earth? Hold up the universal symbol. How much would have gotten to earth, right? None of it would have gotten here. And, and now he's picturing um, the rainfall is euphemistic for the blessings of God. And God's like, I want to open the windows on you. I just want to open the windows on you and pour down, notice it says in the text, and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. Until you, until you, you can't think of anything, any lack of any kind, but how many Christians are living that life? More would be living it. If, if, they would, if they would test God in this, if they would let go of control, if they would give him the wheel, if they would let him pull the car up the tithing ramp and onto the highway of generosity, you would learn things about the Lord, you would experience things about God that you've not seen or not known. It is an incredible journey to be on with God in control and, and obedience to God and, and faithfulness to his promises and to see him meet your needs. And to see him meet them abundantly. And to see, you know, God forgive us for letting false teaching rob us of the joy of the abundance that God wants to give us. It's an awesome, awesome thing. I long for you to experience it. How true it is. Generous giving tests my faith. That's the rub, isn't it? And then this. Generous giving is a personal decision. Generous giving is a personal decision. This is the last passage now. If you've been around here for a while, um, you understand these inside uh, discussions. 2 Corinthians 9, many of you could have guessed that's where we were going. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul talks frequently uh, in his letters about the offerings that were taken uh, for the work of the Lord. But in regard to the Corinthians specifically, he says in chapter 9 verse 1, he says, there's no need for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. He's talking about the offering. For I know your readiness. I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since, that's part of a larger region in which is Corinth, has been ready since last year. 
Your zeal has stirred up most of them. Zeal would be the passionate desire here to give. I'm sending the brothers to you so that our boasting about you may not prove vain in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Don't let the ushers walking forward. Don't let the prayer at the front. Don't let the bag passing down your row be the, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. No, no, make up your mind before that happens and be ready to give as a decision you've made in your own heart. That's the point here that generous giving is a personal decision. So verse six says, what are you saying, Paul? Verse six, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Now that's true in the love in your marriage. That's true in your work ethic. Uh, That's true in forgiveness. All of those things. It's true. Sowing and reaping is true in all of God's economy. And it is also true in the context here, which is financial offering to the work of the Lord. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. How clear is that? So if a guy has a field, one acre, and he says, I'm going to go and plant one kernel of corn. If I'm fortunate, that will produce one stalk, three ears. Really, really? Is that enough for one meal? Why don't you plant that whole field, yo? Why don't you go out and put corn up and down every single row? Why don't you raise a field of corn? Well, I don't need that much. Great, you'll have an abundance to give to others. I don't know, I don't know. Well, fine, fine. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully, sounds like Proverbs 11, the generous man will prosper. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Like, oh, well, you know, I don't... I don't, I don't like to be pressured. I, James, I just feel like you're pressuring me today. You know what I wish? I wish I had a frying pan. That's what I wish. I wish I'd thought to bring to church with me today a frying pan. Oh, wait. Thank you. I just happen to have one right here. You say, how are you going to work that into the sermon? Go ahead, say it. Like this. Uh, guys, you know how I like to help you with stuff like this. And Mother's, Mother's Day is coming. And uh, here's a little newsflash. Do not give uh, the mother of your children, do not give your spouse if you're uh, married without children, do not give any woman in your life a frying pan for Mother's Day, not for her birthday, not for Christmas. Ladies, if I'm telling the truth, ladies, lift up your voice and say amen. Amen. Do not do that. You're like, why? Why? Because cooking's my job. And I like it. I mean, some like it more than others. Some are better at it than others. But it's a dang obligation to have to feed these people. And make another meal. Put some more on the table. Well, I was just thinking about how much I love you. And I wanted you to help you do your obligation. I don't want that kind of help. There's a whole list of this stuff, guys. Don't give her a bowling ball. That's going to help you. See, see, the whole point about giving is, is that giving isn't supposed to flow from or to obligation. Okay? If, if it flows from or to obligation, it ruins it. 
And that's why verse 7 says, each one must give as he has made up in his mind. Ron Blue said to us recently, he's just been so helpful and we'll hear from him in a moment. He said to us recently, you know, honestly, if you're hung up about that tithe, give 9.7. Give 8.8. You know, give 11.1. People who get hung up about the number act like I gave the, the number to God and the rest is mine. You're going to miss it completely, all right? Look at what God's given to you. That's a good little gauge for getting started, not a legalistic license for consuming the rest yourself. It's all God's. Get off the number and get up the ramp onto the generosity highway where we live by faith and see God open the windows of heaven and shower down upon us blessing that we can't contain. So, so make up your own mind. I'm going to, I'm, I'm out there this week, you know, if you're just, we're going to give 8.8. .8. If that's what you feel in your heart as you've prayed before the Lord, get that up to God's house. Well, he's just been so kind to us. We're going to, we're out there. You know, the windows are rattling over here. We're, we're on, we're 10.4. Ah! <laughs> the bigger principle is, is to purpose in your heart. Let it be your choice. Let it be your decision. Let it be your offering of glad gratitude to the Savior of your soul. Each one must give as he has made up his mind. Giving is a personal decision. All right? And God's not a landlord demanding the rent. And, and, and God's not the Northern Illinois gas company saying, when are you going to pay your bills? We'll cut you off. Everyone say, that's not God. God's not like that. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion for... Hey, how often have you been at Harvest when one of the campus pastors will stand up and say some prelim, quote 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and say, well, Harvest, see how you do here. Well, Harvest, it's time to take up the offering. Okay, well, I'm sure there's somebody sitting there, man, that just makes me so uncomfortable. Well, okay, that's all right. And what that should reveal to you is, is that if you're, uh, 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 if you're just like, if it's just such a battle for you, God, God doesn't want a frying pan in the offering plate, okay? God wants what you decided to give. There are some parameters. You ought to be leaving that tithing thing in your rearview mirror on the freeway with the top down where we're laughing and delighting in God's abundance. That's where you're trying to get to. Generous giving is a personal decision, a personal decision. And then this finally, generous giving uh, is abundantly blessed. Now I have a whole a message on this, so I'm not going to spend a, a, ton, a ton of time on this, but I, I, I want you just to look up here for a minute, and I will not let this be taken from me by any negator of God's word. All right? God promises to bless the giver. Flat out promises. And not once or twice. See, well, well, you shouldn't give for that reason. Okay, fine. Really, really, your motives are better than God's? If, if God himself decided by his Holy Spirit to tell you, to motivate you and say, if you do this, I will do this. If you trust me and do this, I will do this. If God thought that that was okay for you to know what he intends to do as a way to induce you, 
Who are you to say that that's beneath you? If God has chosen, really, really, you, you probably don't want your rewards in heaven either. Like, no, I don't, I don't. We're going we're, we're gonna to cast them all before Jesus' feet. Right, that's true. But he's going to give them to you so that you can lay them before him. How's that different than what we're doing right now? And, and so, um, let me just tell you what these blessings are. I think the problem comes, and up around television ministry in America and big television budgets, giving theology has gravitated toward promising more than God promises and promising it to people who haven't won the victory over financial idolatry. So if you say to them, if you give this much, God will give you this much money and that whole seed theology and all that, that's not what we believe at all. In fact, we believe that the abundant blessing of God that flows to the generous person only starts, but I pray does not end for you at financial return. Notice in verse nine then, um, again, verse eight, God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound to you. Everyone say God is able. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may have you may abound or have an abundance in every good work. There's that word abundance. And verse 9 says, as it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. It's good that God doesn't change. And then here comes the blessing. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. Seed in the passage is what you gave. So the first return is abundant finances. It's not the best. I think it's the lowest. It's first. But God's, you can't outgive God. And if you are obedient, you are going to definitely be confident that your needs will be met and more. Abundant finances and then abundant righteousness. Abundant righteousness. He goes on to say in verse 10, Seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. What if a stubborn sin could be broken? What if a debilitating pattern of anxiety could be relieved? What if a certain addiction that you've battled your whole life could be set free? And in your generosity, God would, would release you miraculously from some pattern of sin that has plagued your family maybe for generations. Oh, you can have the money. I'm taking that abundant righteousness thing. That's my pick. I take door number two. Well, we don't pick, and it isn't one or the other. In some measure, everyone say some measure. In some measure, it's all of these things. The third thing is abundant ministry, verse 11 and 12. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Wow, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So there's the increased ministry. Lives touched, lives changed, God using your life. Do you ever look at how God's using your life? I just can't believe how God's using me. Maybe it's a reward he's given for generosity. Others of you so long to be used and aren't being used, and you wonder, what's plugging the flow? I want to be used. Abundant ministry as a result of generosity. And then two more, notice, abundant relationships. By their approval of this service, that's those you minister to, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and your generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Take some time and go over that verse. That is an incredible thing. What it says is that God is going to surround you 
This is the life that we've lived. First with a few, and then with a few more, and then with a hundred, and then with a few hundreds, and then with a few thousands, and then churches ever. It just, it just, the rings just keep going out as we steward what God gives to us and remind ourselves that it all belongs to him. God just keeps filling our lives with hundreds and then thousands of people that we call friends, that we call brothers and sisters in Christ that enrich our lives. Abundant relationships, abundant satisfying relationships. And here's the best thing, abundant worship. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And as we give generously, God grows in us the capacity to worship with our whole hearts because nothing else owns us Nothing else controls us. Nothing else shackles us. And we are set free and unburdened to worship God with our whole hearts. Generosity turns up the volume of our worship. Now, let me just say, God has given five inducements to giving. All right? I mean, look up here. He really wants this from you. He wants you to get to this. He's given clarity of expectations. He's given consequences if you don't. He's given uh, blessing if you do. He's uh, promised freedom uh, uh, to choose the number. You don't have to be told exactly what. And he's given you a family to learn with. I mean, these are God's five inducements to get this right in your life. Every week this offering bag comes down the row. We've been giving automatically for many years and just give offerings in this bag, Kathy and I. But this is a test of what you believe about God. I said to Ron Blue this week, Ron, why do you talk about money all the time? And why have you spent your money on this? He says, I love it. He says, because you can't fake it. You can fake prayer. You can fake Bible study. You can fake a lot of things. But this is a real number. It's a real expression about what you really believe about the God of the heavens and his capacity to reward the generous person. All right? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these uh, willing, uh, listening hearts. I thank you, Father, for their uh, genuine hunger to know your truth. Thank you for the privilege of preaching this in the context of all that you say about money. Thank you for the privilege of leading a generous church. Call others off the sidelines not to meet needs, but to experience the joy of living with you in the great adventure of how you reward the generous man and the generous woman. Make us that. Make us that increasingly, each one of us. Give us courage to repent where we have doubted and failed and hoarded. And give us faith to believe that in our repentance we receive grace and we gain opportunity to grow in obedience to you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we have another diagnostic. Watch this. Well, we're back in the studio with our friends Brian Shepler and Ron Blue. And uh, having just completed the message on giving, uh, we're excited now to do a little uh, practical discussion of what that actually looks like in life. So ready to go, Brian? Sure. Ron, describe for us some of the tensions people face in this whole area of giving. Well, you know, giving, it, it feels like when you give that you're taking away. And so, you know, if you're even close, you're saying, I can't afford to give. I mean, I hear I can't afford to give all of the time. And the reality is, is you can't afford not to give as a believer. And the yeah. reason you can, uh, can't afford not to give is because it's recognition of God's ownership. 
And so if I don't have that as my first priority, then I'm never going to make God my first priority in terms of recognizing his provision. I like to tell people, what have you received? What do you have that you haven't received? And the answer is nothing. All right, well, under pressure then, and I, I already know from experience we're going to hear a principle here, and I'm good with that. <laughs> okay. I, I like that. I mean, I, I love the fact that you are, I mean, it's amazing how much we agree because we're all reading the same book, right? Absolutely. <laughs> now, um, uh, give first or pay off uh, problem debt first? The answer is yes. Okay. okay. From this standpoint, James, if you believe that God owns it all, then every use of money is a spiritual use of money. And so to me, you've got to hear this right, that if I'm uh, listening to what God wants me to do, then uh, giving and what I save or what I pay off in debt would have the same priority, if you will, from God's perspective. Mm -hmm. So, but now as I work it out practically, I, I don't want to get into the trap of saying this is God's part and the rest of it's mine. I right. want people to recognize it's all His. It's all God's. So if I'm, if I'm in a heavy debt situation, then what I want to do is probably get some counsel and some accountability to help somebody, have somebody help me work through where I'm putting my money. Mm -hmm. Because it's probably not a giving issue, it's probably a spending issue. Well, and you had said on some earlier uh, teaching that we've done, you had talked about the whole idea of how um, at the end of the day, this is a matter of the heart. And now I've just done some teaching where I'm saying, you know, giving is what sort of slays uh, the dragon of addiction to spending and meeting my own needs. Do you agree with that assessment? Well, I, I tell you, I agree with it so much I wrote a book on it. Okay. 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 <laughs> and the book, title of the book was Generous Living. Yeah. And the thesis of the book was you cannot experience financial contentment or freedom unless you give generously. Okay. It's, that breaks the power of money. Yeah. And it's yeah. the only way to break the power of money. Okay, so um, let's just let's just get after this uh, uh, tithe. No tithe. Let's let's. I don't honestly. Should we argue about it? What? what just <laughs> grosser what, net. Grosser <laughs> net. Totally. Totally. Come well, on. I've got the answer for that one, of and this is prescriptive. Set us straight. Do you want God to bless the grosser the net? <laughs> okay, okay, I want God to bless the gross. Absolutely, and, that's and, the right and God, answer. And, and it's all His. It's the gross all is his. his. Yeah, the the net. That's a that's a that's a silly argument, or it's a silly question in the sense. I mean, people don't ask it in a silly way, but when you think about it, the net is only existent in America since the 1930s, right? When they started withholding taxes. Well, you wouldn't expect a farmer a thousand years ago to take all his share of the crops and put it in his own right. barn, and then now look at what belongs to God. It all belongs to God. All belongs to God. We got a series on that called God's Money. <laughs> and, it's a and, good title. And, all right. So I liked what you said also about the danger of. Um, just speak to our private conversation about the danger of 10.0. Yeah, I think that, and I hear this a lot, James, is that uh, I give God his part, yeah. but it's all his part. So important, God's money. Yeah, and so the 10%, the tithe, uh, whatever that percentage could be, is just in recognition of his ownership, but it's still all his. Okay. And I think in America, we are so blessed uh, that we can give. And I, I like giving spontaneously. You know, have you ever gone through the tool booth and handed the lady or person that's waiting there the guy's tool for behind you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. Uh, and I heard a pastor say one time, he said, you know, if I meet a, a homeless person or someone in need, I always give. I do too. And, I, and it doesn't make any difference whether they use it like I think it should be no, used. No, I'm not like, oh, I got to know what you're doing with that. No. no. 
But, but you don't get a tax write-off for that, so why would you ever do that? <laughs> the tax write-off also is American, and I believe this. My personal belief is that if the IRS eliminated the charitable deduction, you would still see every ministry funded that should be funded because yeah. people don't give for the tax write-off. That's yeah, true. We don't no. we give out because it belongs to God. We give in obedience to Scripture. Right. Hey, did you know, I think you know that Brian's developed all these diagnostics because we want to go from what it says. I know you're very interested in the practical application of God's Word. And Absolutely. Brian wants to tell us about another diagnostic for this week's lesson on giving. Sure. So this week we've got two parts for you. We're going to ask you to go back and just look at 2012 and see uh, what proportion of your income, gross income you were giving this past year, whether it be in tithes or whether it be spontaneously or whether it be in other forms. So that's the top section. Just take a few minutes to go back and look at those and put some numbers to paper and calculate a few percentages. And then the, the bottom half really talks about some of the practicing of the principles that's going on in your life or in your marriage and just five simple questions in a continuum to, uh, to acknowledge there. And about how long to do that? Yeah, all in probably another 30 minutes of okay. investment this week. Well, look, at if you've fallen behind on the diagnostics, please, please don't be discouraged. Take some extra time this week and catch up. We're so deeply concerned that we're taking God's Word not just into our mind and into our heart, but actually letting it show up in our life and the way that we prioritize our decisions about God's money. Next time, we're going to be talking about multiplying it faithfully. So you have a great week. We'll be excited to get back with you again. So I hope that you've been really encouraged today through this clear teaching from God's Word. I just want to thank you from the whole team for listening to the James McDonald podcast, where the learning is for loving, loving God and for loving others more and more until we see him face to face. Thank you for standing with us. Your prayerful support is our lifeline to continue this gospel partnership, and it makes podcasts like these possible. If you're not part of a vibrant, life-giving gospel church, check out this new alternative. It's called the Home Church Network. You can get it at homechurchnetwork.global. Uh, all the ministry information, Bible teaching, and, and resources are there, and also at jamesmcdonaldministries.org. Hey, thank you again for listening.